0: Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of Imperfect Leaders. Superstars don't just emerge out of thin air. Every single one of them, including goats like Tom Brady and Michael Phelps, must confront and overcome serious personal obstacles. And this usually happens early in life, in the pivotal teenage years. It might surprise you that Tom Brady nearly gave up on football while still in college. But then he met someone special. He met today's guest, Greg Hardin, who is perhaps the greatest of all time in his profession, a performance coach and trusted mentor that helps talent reach their full potential, not only as athletes, but as human beings and as great leaders. So sit back and enjoy today's episode with my new friend and the greatest peak performance coach on the planet, Mr. Greg Hardin. So Greg, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you on today. And I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, You know, it seems like Tom Brady is on TV or on the news every single day. And trust me, I know, because my wife screams with delight every single time. Uh, But the Tom Brady interview, I would give anything to see, is the one that doesn't exist. I want to know what he was like when he wasn't yet a star. In fact, when he wasn't even a starter at Michigan, uh, yeah, he was, from what I hear or what I read in your book, he was questioning his own ability as a football player and and his value to the team. But you were right in the middle of it all. In fact, arguably, you're the single biggest and most important influence on him at the most pivotal time in his career. So tell me, what was it like the first time you met the future GOAT, the greatest of all time in professional football, when he was just a scrawny little teenager at the University of Michigan?
1: Well, you're very kind and generous. I was one of the factors, I'm sure. Tom was like every other 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old who shows up at a university wanting to be the best. He showed up, and he was really good in high school. He wasn't great, but he had some exceptional skills. And when I met him, oh, you ready for this, Jeffrey? Yes. He had just lost 25 pounds from acute appendicitis, and you know what his body looked like and uh he really felt that maybe he should leave Mm. he considered leaving Mm -hmm. and uh and he said i don't think the coaches uh really believe in me and i want to be the starter at michigan and i looked at him jc and i said son i can't help you being a starter at michigan Unless you want me to blow smoke up your butt. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you if you work with me, you'll be a starter. But if you work with me, if no one else believes in your ass, you'll believe. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> and I told him, I don't care what the coaches think about you. I don't care what they believe. All I care about is what you believe. Let, let me tell you about what are the characteristics of these megastars and these peak performers? There are two things you need to know. If you're talking about Tom Brady or Desmond Howard or Michael Phelps, Charles Woodson, the list goes on. What they had in common is not only were they hungry, and in many cases hungrier than most, but they were humble. Hmm. Hungry and humble means coachable. Hmm. Tom Brady, Desmond Howard were two of the most coachable individuals I'd ever met in my life. Tom Brady would just be sitting, waiting, and I said, "Tom Brady this is the most the most difficult lesson I can give you is right now. You've got to decide, with or without football. Your life is going to be amazing." Hmm. What am I saying, Tom? This boy looks at me, Jeffrey, and says, "You're saying that I'm, I'm more than a football player." I said, "Yeah, you're saying that." i can't let football define i said yes this is a 19 year old kid Hmm. i said not only that i'm telling you you've got to decide that you are more than a football player that you that football is what you do and your self-worth and self-esteem must not be based on football how you feel about you we take it away from football we take it away from coaches. We take it away from any external force.
0: Mm-hmm. How did he respond? Because that's a lot to lay on, you know, a, a teenager that's going through such a tough time, not fitting into the team. I mean, was he receptive right away?
1: He was receptive. And I also had to explain to him, if you understand there are three levels of fitness, mm-hmm. physical, mental, and spiritual. You, If you're trying to get physically fit, what do you have to do? I have to work out. Do you have to work out one time and then go back uh, six months later? He says, no. I say, son, if you want to get your mental game right, you will have to make a commitment to meet on a regular basis and train for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He says, I got it. This kid, I'm telling you, JC, this kid would say, yes, sir. I mean, who's the, ooh, you, And mm-hmm. believe it or not, some of these kids are so bright. It's unbelievable. This kid was sharp, sharp.
0: And so then what? So you have this conversation with them and you don't blow smoke up his butt. You give it to him like it really is. And he responds, you know, and you could tell right away he's coachable. So then what?
1: It's a critical commitment to self-evaluation, self-assessment, and Mm self-awareness. So you've got to introduce uh, anyone that will listen to you, that you have to become the world's greatest expert on one subject. Yourself. Wow. You want to be the best version of yourself? You want to be a peak performer? You've got to know yourself better than anyone else.
0: That, that sounds easy, but it's not, is it?
1: No, as a matter of fact, the I, I, I love the way that you set that up. Boy, you just throw me another alley. I'm going to dunk <laughs> that man, boy. <laughs> You know, you got to understand simple and easy are two different constructs. It's simple, not easy.
0: Mm. Tell me more.
1: But you've you've got to break it down for people. You've Mm. got to simplify it because they think it's so hard. Yes, it's hard and it's not easy, but you have to keep it on a simple formula. Mm. You must become the world's greatest expert. How do you do that? By increasing your ability, you give them tools to do self-evaluation, self-assessment. Mm-hmm. What kind of tools do you give them? Uh, Tom didn't get this, but a couple of them did. Are you ready for this? Yes. Uh, you're a, a whiz kid when it comes to the world of business. And everyone that's ever worked in the world of business at some point has experienced a SWOT analysis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. SWOT. Yeah. So you take Tom through this. And so what did you guys together figure out what some of his weaknesses were and opportunities?
1: Well, we, we found out quickly that he was a guy that absolutely craved approval. Mm. He, he wanted the approval of his coaches and his teammates more than anything. We also learned that he's a guy that, uh, would beat himself up if 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 he wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. I and mean, he was constantly worrying about what any, everyone else thought about it. Mm. And I said, "Oh, this is exciting." I said, "So, I want you to understand there are four A's in the world. Four A's. What are you talking about? There, if anybody says all and every, you know they're about to say something profound or completely stupid. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> You're right." So I suggest to Tom and anyone that'll listen, all of us have the need for four A's, the need for attention, the need for affection, Mm -hmm. the need for approval, and ultimately the need for acceptance.
0: So you went through that with him and did, you know, did, to use another word, did he agree with you on all the four A's? Uh,
1: Can can anyone disagree with me on that one, Jeff?
0: (laughs) No, not really. No. It's basic fundamental human psychology, I would imagine. We all have that, right? Yes,
1: sir. So then when I introduced the idea that we all know people who are great at giving it to others and horrible at giving it to themselves, Hmm. being attentive to their needs and listening to themselves, being affectionate and kind and patient and compassionate, giving themselves self-approval and self-acceptance. And then I introduced the idea, imagine this, imagine Me with a 345 pounder saying, son, the secret is self-love and self-acceptance.
0: How does a 350 pound linebacker when you're saying that, you know, respond to you?
1: They can't help but say that makes total sense. Hmm. Because what we have to do is increase our confidence in ourselves by not beating ourselves up and worrying about things we can't control. When we talk about control the controllables, Hmm. we move in that whole direction. To so teaching Tom Brady and Desmond Howard and Michael Phelps, all of them, anyone that will listen to me about how important it is to begin to seek self-approval and self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. To make sure that my self-worth and self-esteem, how I feel about me, mm-hmm. must not be based on how much money I have, mm-hmm. how many touchdowns I have, whether I'm starting Once you decide that if football works, great. And if it doesn't work, I'll do something else. It's liberating.
0: I buy it and Tom bought it. And so you end this conversation. You know, the first time he's in your office is a scrawny teenager. But then what? Then how does he then become more confident and more skilled as a quarterback on the University of Michigan football team? Because
1: remember, we're trying to teach him that the game, the greatest game of his life, it's between his ears. Hmm. I can't teach him how to throw a ball. I can't teach him how to read a defense. I've got to convince him that not only must he master and become a student of the game, he has to master his emotions, his response. He has to, now let's go back to the fitness. If we say physical fitness, mental fitness, spiritual fitness are the three levels of fitness, everyone knows somebody. If you've never been in shape, you know somebody who has been, Mm -hmm. right? And you know, if you had to define fitness and physical fitness, you'd be talking about endurance and stamina. You talk about flexibility and strength, and you talk about cardiovascular, boom, 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 boom. But if you don't say the word recovery, you don't understand fitness. How fast can you, get, can you give 100% rest for a minute and a half and do it again? Hmm. So, when we're talking about mentally fit, we're trying to teach a young person that there are going to be times, there are going to be times when trials and tribulations, and you will be assaulted by heartache and, and heartbreak and, and by loss and grief and failure. If we are mentally fit, we recover faster than the average person. Mm-hmm. So my job is to teach Tom Brady or anyone that'll listen to me mm-hmm. that you must have your mint, that the mental game is the game. Mm-hmm. I don't care what sport. I've studied 29 different sports. I've, I've, I've studied so many sports, it's insane. Mm-hmm. And at any point, I'm going to have to convince you to go to the next level, yes, you were that guy in high school, <laughs> but to go to the next level, your mind better get right. You can, you can measure Tom Brady's strength, you can, how high he can jump, how fast he can run, and you could be disappointed if you want to, but you can't measure his mind and you can't measure his heart. The heart comes in when we start talking about, instead of intellectually understanding what I'm saying, you've got to feel it you've got to trust it you've got to believe it that's your heart your heart will say to you speak to you about not only does greg make sense i feel it i believe it with all my heart i believe what he's saying and then you go out and you and you demonstrate
0: it and so tom then finally gets into the big games and he's starting you know as a quarterback
1: well remember He still ain't in the big game yet. He's still trying to get in the big game. And he's got to demonstrate over and over and over that he's committed. And he's got to stop whining, crying, and complaining. Your job, Tom, is to come in my office. You can bitch, moan, and complain all you want. When you walk out of this office, no one is to see you sweat. This will be a smile on your face, a song in your heart. And mm-hmm. if they give you two reps, you'll do it better than any human being can until they give you four. foe. You, you understand? But your mind will be right. You will not be pouting and complaining and uh, about what you're not getting. And when you get in, you will. your job, your job, Tom Brady, is to make them look like idiots for not playing you.
0: Hmm. What about – it makes total sense. But what about since you're not getting a lot of reps, and a lot of snaps, what happens if you're nervous?
1: Jeffrey, you're so good. I teach anyone that will work with me. Instead of telling them to be fearless and not be afraid, I tell them, stop being afraid of being afraid.
0: Wow. What do you mean? That's so powerful.
1: Come on. Think about it, man. Just take a second. Stop being afraid of being afraid. Fear and self-doubt is the greatest enemy we have ever faced, Jeffrey. Think about this. I I I'll give you a great example. You ready? Some of the greatest Jeff, I've known you now for what, 20 minutes?
0: Feels like longer, but yes, 20 minutes.
1: Think about it. I can guarantee you some of the greatest moments of your life. Some of the most fun you've ever had. Some of your grandest adventures. You were about to crap your pants before you
0: did. Absolutely. <laughs> and and that's not just in sports that's in business that's it, dating that's in life come on yeah, am i right or, wrong? or else the stakes aren't high enough or you don't or care. else i'm not stretching you know beyond my comfort zone enough to actually go for something that i really care about so what am i teaching i'm teaching
1: you to anticipate anxiety i'm teaching you to embrace fear i'm hmm. teaching you not to think that Courage is the absence of fear. It's facing fear. Hmm. Courage, the word courage doesn't even make sense unless we're talking about facing fear. Hmm. Imagine winning two Super Bowls and all of a sudden you can't go out of your house. Yeah. I get a call, Greg, I, I just need somebody to talk to. I say, okay, Tom, great to hear from you. And you know know me better than most. You know that being a star was not my objective. Being the best is all I ever dreamed of being. And being the best for my team and and winning championships and, and taking it all the way. But this stardom is, I mean, you gotta understand, you have to train people for success, not just for failure. And he's in the middle of success. His head, I mean, this guy, but his life has changed. He hmm. can't go to the corner store hmm. and it's frustrating him. He's like irritated and he he's calling me. And I said, you know who you called, right? He said, yeah. I said, you know, I got to give it to you straight, no chaser. I said, yes, yeah, why I called you. I said, so Tom, you're telling me you're frustrated and borderline depressed because your life has taken, taken a turn you're the starting quarterback of an NFL team. You have uh, won two Super Bowls in a row. You're the prettiest white man in America with a dimple in your chin talking about you can't go outside. I can't, I feel your pain, but I can't relate. <laughs> right? Because I taught you something that you forgot. What's that? I'll say, Tom. I say, but Tom, for once in your life, I told you this is about power and that you're, this is a power move to become this guy. Mm -hmm. You will end up with power and influence. You have forgotten right now you could pick up a phone and change somebody's life. Oh, you, any, everybody wants to talk to you. This is a, you've got to seize this moment. And use it, and use it effectively, and not be intimidated, not be afraid of it, and not just be irritated, but embrace it. Because once again, your world has changed. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking you to understand how are you going. I asked you when you were a child, how would you use, if you had rich, what would you, if you had money and power, Mm -hmm. what would you do with it? Did I not ask you that? Yes, sir. I said, bro, you got it.
0: (laughs) You better use it. And that's why the humility, being humble, and being like a continuous learner, you know, the intellectual curiosity is so important, not just when you're the scrawny teenager, but even after you're a Hall of Fame NFL MVP, go. It's still important, right?
1: Yes, it's crucial. I just did a meeting in New York. Hello. Uh, one of my colleagues, one of my mentees, is this finance financial wizard, and he's in a group where you have to be, have at least... 20 million to even apply, mm. net worth, <laughs> you understand. Know mm-hmm. And so he decides that they need to meet me and he buys, he buys 200 of my books mm. and put, gives it out to millionaires. Right. And he's saying, all he asked me to do is just, could you come talk to him? Like, sure. I'll come talk to him about the book. What we discover is human beings at every level, need to understand self-love and self-acceptance need to understand that your self-worth and self-esteem must not be based on boom, boom, boom. They need to be crystal clear that if you want to be happy, you have to be able to love yourself and project that love. Love isn't love till you give it away. You've got to be able to give a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time at everything people think that I'm saying at your job. no, JC, when you relax, I want you to do it like it ain't never been done before. When you love your family, you got to take it to a whole nother level. When you're trying to impress the people that you love in your life, don't half step, go all the way. Think about Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps has more, won more gold medals than any human being ever. Think about this for a moment. You know, his, he's not swimming anymore. What is he doing? He is the champion for mental health. Hmm. A champion. He has a purpose. He's driven by this whole idea of destigmatizing, asking for help. You have to have purpose. And
0: how do you help someone like Michael Phelps discover what their true north is above and beyond what uh, you know their their expertise in swimming or football or whatever it might be? Because I would assume that you know part of the, the value that you offer to someone willing to listen is that you can help them get more in touch with their own core values and their North Star.
1: You've got to teach people, and I'm not the brightest boy in the world, so I have to come up with a formula that makes sense. So all I do is ask people first to understand that purpose can sometimes be Pursuit of purpose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That was the first purpose I ever figured out. Because I promised God, if I live to see 25, there must be some purpose in my life.
0: That's so and just to make sure I understood, the pursuit of purpose can be your purpose before you know know what what your purpose is.
1: The first I had I had I told God if I live to see 25, there must be purpose. Mm -hmm. So you think at 25, purpose popped into my head? (laughs) I had to find it. And I was frustrated until I realized my first purpose was to find my purpose mm-hmm. and turn it into an adventure. So what? imagine me telling uh, Michael Phelps, Michael, if you had to work for the rest of your life, maybe as hard as it was at to 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17.
0: And by the way, is that when you first met him?
1: <laughs> I met him when he was 18, 19 years old and uh-huh. in the midst of, of transition and finding on the quest for self-autonomy in adulthood. So yeah, imagine saying to him, you've got to decide if you had to work for the rest of your life and it wasn't swimming, but you would never get paid for it, what would you do? <laughs> you know, JC, that's going to open up some doors for people. They got to think, what would you do for free if all you could, if you had to do it every day and it's what you wanted to do and you wasn't would, making a dime.
0: So was it mental health back then or was it he didn't know? No, he didn't know. Hmm.
1: But I, you, because sometimes I'm the guy that plants seeds. Mm-hmm. So for Michael, I'm planting seeds. I'm trying to get him to think differently because he's so frustrated. Remember, he had no childhood. Mm-hmm. He was identified at 12 years old. You're going to be an Olympian. By 15, he's at the Olympics. 15 years old. And now, and then the next thing you know, he's 19 years old and he's got eight gold medals and, you know, and, in. and, all of a sudden, he decides to turn into a humanoid and rebel.
0: Yes, which isn't that surprising, is it?
1: It's human behavior, mm.
0: 101.
1: Mm. <laughs> and so he, he he gets he's trying desperately to fit in, trying to have friends, trying to pretend he's just like everyone else. He's not, but he's trying to fit in with the people. And of course it backfires and it's a pain in the butt and he rebels against his head coach who he's been with since time began. And his head coach is totally confused and he doesn't know he's the surrogate daddy. Mm. You, you you Papa, he's got to rebel against you. So Mm. I'm working with Bob Bowman and Michael Phelps.
0: Mm. (laughs) It's so cool. Um, And it was very obvious to you, the, the dynamic that was going on, but for both of those guys, one younger and one older, they had no clue. Nothing. Hmm.
1: What are you talking about? And I had to co- coach them and coax them and get them to understand this makes sense.
0: Was Michael receptive to that feedback? I mean, or did you make him kind of wait like, you know, a therapist, you know, 16 sessions before he figured it out on his own?
1: So you got to understand, I'm that guy. You remember, hey, you're, you're over 40, right?
0: Oh, my gosh, yes. Unfortunately. <laughs>
1: You remember One Minute Manager? Yes. I'm the One Minute Manager. That means that if you need a psychiatrist, see, I I, I segued out of counseling a a decade or so ago and became obsessed with peak performance. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you six months, six years of psychotherapy in six days.
0: (laughs) And where were you when I was younger?
1: Come on, (laughs) bruh. Because I'm gonna hit you between the eyes.
0: That's what. That's what I need. You know? That's what we
1: all need. And I'm gonna get you into. Uh, I'm gonna get you a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a social worker, whatever you need. But I'm gonna be the, the guy that says you don't have time. You're you're trying to get a business started. You're trying to become. You got to compete next week. I don't have time for six months of psychoanalysis.
0: I've got to figure out what's working and
1: what's not working, and then teach you how to do
0: it. Okay, you're exactly what every single listener of this show has been asking for for gosh years. You know, even before this show started, I'm going to give you some of the things that I hear. You know, of as imperfections. The name of the podcast is Imperfect Leaders, and that's because there is no such thing as a perfect leader. And I'm looking for people to be vulnerable and tell, be real. Okay, so what about self doubt? That's a big one. I mean, we've all had some self doubt in our lives. Why is it so pernicious? And who have you helped overcome this demon on the left shoulder?
1: Desmond Ward Manuel. Ooh, Samantha Arsenal. Samantha Arsenal, who is now Samantha Livingstone, who is an unbelievable motivational, inspirational uh, author and speaker. She had a gold medal in high school. And she comes to college, her expectations are off the charts.
0: Mm-hmm. She came to Michigan. And
1: then, yeah. And her body is saying, well, that's nice. But uh, I think you hurt your shoulder. And now being having the best time is not going to happen. Unless, and then, of course, she's going to push through it in spite of the fact that her body would like for her to rest. <laughs> and she's terrified she's terrified that it's over she's terrified that she that she will never reach her full potential her doubt is insane about why should i re- i've got to keep pushing i've got to keep no you need to stop you need to allow yourself to be a human being you're not a robot you're not a machine you've got to decide you're a human being flaws and all and that was, talk about hard work. She struggled mightily to overcome that whole piece. Fear and self-doubt was her greatest enemy. And and again, I told you, fear and self-doubt is the greatest enemy you will ever face. Hmm. And that's who, who we are as humans. Doubt is part of our, our, our makeup. It's in our DNA. And understanding that it, sometimes it, it, it makes sense to question and that you can recover faster than the average person. That's all we're trying to get you to do, is to fight it, resist it, redefine it, reframe it. Let's talk about letting go of yesterday's
0: baggage. That's a big imperfect I hear that all the time. Tell me about that.
1: Bruh, yesterday's baggage has to be identified as overcoming the past, P-A-S-T. Previous action somewhere in time. <laughs> We've got to allow the past to be what it is. Yesterday, a canceled check. <laughs> and stop, we can't obsess over the future, which is a promissory note. Teaching people to count the money that's in their hands and how to utilize it is what we're talking about. Yesterday's baggage, uh, imagine being from uh, uh, mainland China, and you're a female, and you're it's, you you're in the United States and it's 19 Lottie Dottie and your family and, and, and everyone in your, in, in your community, their opinion about women is suspect and your father and your brothers are clear that you are not an entrepreneur or a leader. Imagine working with this woman, mm-hmm. evil coach and trying to get her to cause all she can think about is her father's approach. Uh, uh, conversations with her and her brothers constantly putting her down, and her sisters telling her to stay in her place, and she's just going nutsy, Bobo. Mm. She's working with me, <laughs> and I'm struggling, Jeff. I can't, I can't get a breakthrough. I'm thinking maybe it's a cultural thing, mm. you know, maybe it's because she's from mainland China. Mm. And I say perhaps I should get her into a different, with another counselor. Mm. I say I'm going to try one more thing. I said, Eva, you know, you, you're a pretty strong woman. You know, I, here's, here's this uh, folding chair right here. Do you think you could pick that up? So oh, of course I can. She picks it up. I said, Yeah, that's that's good. You're pretty strong. You, you know, let's let's keep talking while you hold that chair. Okay. So she's holding the chair. We keep talking. She keeps complaining and reminiscing and talking about how bad her life was and then and, and the red guard and everything about Mousey tongue and comp- it and the world changing. And I say, gosh, and you think you can lift that chair over your head? Her? Sure I can. <laughs> she lifts it over her head. And she I say, let's keep talking. We keep talking, Jeff. Seconds go by. And I say, is that getting too heavy? No, of course not. I can hold it. And I said, well, let's keep talking. We keep talking, Jeffrey. And finally, I said, you know, how long do you think you can hold it? She said, I can hold it for a long time. A minute, minute two, two goes by. And she all of a sudden she looks at me and she says, This is stupid. <laughs> and she slams the chair down. And I says, Exactly. That's you and your your baggage from yesterday. You drag it around with <laughs> Mm-hmm. You take it everywhere you go, and every relationship has to suffer through your preoccupation with yesterday. When will you allow yourself to be liberated and freed from the anguish that doesn't even exist anymore? You, 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 in, you indulge all these. How you respond to them now is up to you. As a matter of fact, think about what Eleanor Roosevelt said: No one can make you feel inferior. Mm without your permission.
0: And the key is make you feel. How, how can they get into your body and your emotions and make you feel a certain way?
1: You decide to feel that way. You allow them to make you feel that way. And now we're going to teach you to empower yourself, to liberate yourself from the yoke of oppression.
0: But, but is that easier said than done?
1: Jeffrey, that's the way you're going to go every time we talk. Of course. Yeah. It's not easy,
0: hmm. but it's simple.
1: Hmm. Simple and easy. Two different constructs.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna take me a while to get this through my thick head. I I promise you. And, but with her, for example, did you know once she put that chair down, was she ready to work with you?
1: Right. the pain in her body was telling her to put the chair down. Hmm. I hmm. say that's the pain of yesterday that you keep indulging in you've got to let some of it go it wasn't overnight but you have to but if you don't plant to see you can't even nurture it if it's not planted so you grow you you grow people into a new direction a new self-definition to reinvent themselves to reframe how they're interpreting yesterday
0: but isn't aren't the human beings the only species that can make that decision to change
1: my man, <laughs> think about this. There are some unbelievable creatures on this planet. You wouldn't, you, if you haven't seen them, you've seen it on TV. You watch National Geographic's, and sometimes you've been at a zoo, and sometimes you've seen it in nature. I mean, these are some unbelievable creatures. But a dog gonna be a dog every day. A cow gonna be a cow. A lion's gonna be a lion. A snake's gonna be a snake. The only creature that has the ability to decide I'm not going to be the same today as I was yesterday is a human being. Mm -hmm. No other creature can decide to look in the mirror and say, I like what I see. I'm going to build on it or say, I don't like this. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to eliminate it. Uh, uh, Only human beings can decide to change, Jeffrey.
0: So powerful, and it's so true. Vulnerability, refusing to ask for help or the fear of looking stupid, you know, is vulnerability the sign of a sign of weakness, or is it in a way the ultimate sign of strength and confidence?
1: You already know. I was raised by an unbelievably strong father. Mm-hmm. My father made it crystal clear to me. I remember being eight years old going out into the backyard saying, pops, can I help? He might have been working on the yard or working on the car. My father looks at an eight-year-old and says, oh, if you see me in a bear fight, don't help me. Help the bear. (laughs) I'm eight years old. I don't know what this means. He kind of sounds like my dad. (laughs) Hello. By the time I'm 12, 13, 14, I'm real clear that a man don't ask for help. A man don't need any help. I'm a professional helper. I'm. I hate asking for help. Mm. <laughs> it's still some baggage that I carry, but I've, I've, con- I've modified and redesigned it and reframed it. But it, many of us are raised that way and socialized and brainwashed into not being able to ask for help and seeing it as a weakness, of mm. course. This is where I try to take them. Let's go to <clears throat> the world of business. You know some of the highest paid CEOs on the planet. You've met them, maybe even worked with them. Let's say that there is one that makes, say, $8 million a year. Do they use consultants? Yes. Okay. If I'm paying you $8 million a year, why do you need a consultant?
0: Because you don't have all the answers. And if you think you do, that that's even a, more of a sign that you don't.
1: So there are things I cannot see. I have blind spots. I'm going to not only have consultants, I'm going to hire people smarter than me, especially in the areas where I am weak. Mm-hmm. I need to tell people that, who are struggling with yesterday's baggage, who mm-hmm. are struggling to ask for help, who know that they can't change by themselves, can't see it differently. I'm going to tell them to use consultants. Hmm. Instead of thinking counselors or shrinks and people who are trying to get in my head, you need to see counselors as consultants. You need to hire them. And if you like them, keep them. And if you don't like them, fire them and get another one.
0: Tell me more about your father. What was it like growing up uh, where you were? Where are you from?
1: I'm from Detroit and I'm proud
0: of it. Detroit. Awesome. Okay. So what was it like growing up as a little kid? And you said your father, you know, certainly wasn't asking you for help. How did you feel and what was that like? What are some of the memories that really stick with you?
1: Well, my father was uh, taught me so many good things, and but he also was rigid mm-hmm. and committed to being real clear that it's, it's going to be my house or ain't going to be no house. The hardest part of my childhood was that he worked 60, 70 hours a week And when I saw him, he was tired and mean as hell Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) because he was
1: broke down. I don't know he's broke down. I think he don't like me. Right. (laughs) You know, and so you go through years of not knowing because he's struggling to make ends meet Mm -hmm. and to demand on him and to demand on black men in the 50s, the 60s. The only kingdom he had was his house and he ruled and made sure you knew this was his house. My mother was a it was a wizard. We knew how to read and write by the time we were by, before we went to uh kindergarten. We knew how to read and write. And we we were we were strong as ammonia. I was a magnificent nerd until mm. I got beat up one time and I decided the pen wasn't mightier than the sword. Mm. <laughs> And and by the way,
0: what happened when you got beat up? Did you come home? Did you tell your dad about it?
1: Sure. I talked, I couldn't, I I was crying. Mm -hmm. You understand? Uh, And then, and that was when I was a bait, a real youngster, them at 14, 15 and got in a fight and I got caught. Well, it wasn't a fight because it came up from behind me and busted me in my head. And I didn't know that. On TV, you could keep fighting, but in the real world, you're dazed and confused. <laughs> so I get a beat down. I go home, JC, and I'm like so frustrated cause I'm smarter than all these kids. I'm smart. Why am I getting beat up? Well, cause I didn't have a big old family. I wasn't a member of a gang. What happened was I decided that change was in, I swear at 15 years old, I write, change is inevitable. Mm. That which cannot be avoided or evaded. You can be a part of change or you can have your ass kicked by it. You mm. decide. Mm. At 15, I write this because I'm saying, look, I got to change because I can't be running around. I enunciated when I swore. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was definitely not a gangster Rudy, mm. but I decided that I was going to have to shift. So You end up getting trapped in a reality that says you either going to buckle up Mm -hmm. And be hardcore, or you're going to be beat up. And so I wasn't moving. We weren't moving. So I became a guy that. This is what I I became a guy that bullied bullies. In what way? I had impulse strength, and for a brief moment, for ten seconds, I can make you think I was stronger than you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you if you if you if you punking somebody, I'm come up behind you and throw you into the locker. And, think, and you think I'm crazy. So crazy Greg saved my life. Hmm. Tried to take over my life. <laughs> hmm. But to survive, you do what you have to do. So I was a pretty intense character hmm. because I just wasn't, I was taking no more beatings, period.
0: And this was in the heart of Detroit. So this these weren't light beatings. These were pretty intense.
1: You got to understand one of my greatest mentors it was mm-hmm. non-existent. It was a Jewish brother mm-hmm. named Victor Frankel, mm. Bruh. Mm. Bruh. You read man's search for meaning. If that don't change you, something ain't right. And then all of a sudden I run into the Jewish defense league. Mm-hmm. And what was their motto? Never again.
0: Hmm.
1: I thought that was the greatest model on the planet Earth,
0: man. Because it resonated to your core. I mean, this is to how my you core. were brought up.
1: To my core. I will never get punked again. You guys cannot have my spirit. You cannot have my pride. And so I got a little bit intense. And so, I, of course, I became even stronger a representation and an exaggeration of my father and not asking for help being strong as ammonia, (laughs) being an immovable object, ah, gets old.
0: And when did you change your relationship with your father, the person that you were probably most trying to impress, but the person that you didn't really feel loved you at the time?
1: Let's go straight to that one. I'm like in my uh, 30s, and now I'm a professional helper. (laughs) And I'm giving all these lessons about the four A's, the need for attention, affection, approval, and acceptance. And I'm sitting up one day, I say, wait a minute. I'm still craving my father's approval. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm, oh, oh I haven't addressed that. And it, it hits me like a ton of bricks because I still got issues and baggage and, and resentments. And, and, that's, and that dawns on me. And I sit and I ponder, because this is what I would teach anyone. I pondered and reframed and reinterpreted who he was and how he operated and I allowed him to no longer be a demigod because your parents are demigods until you find out they're flawed and imperfect. And Mm -hmm. then you get really pissed off, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I had been through all that. And so I said, wait a minute, my father loves me. I'm confident that my father loves me, but his ability to express it was not what he was trained to do. I said, you know, I think I'm, I have to let go of this this baggage I've been dragging around because it's consuming me still. And I swear I deliberately and intentionally decided that his love, his, his affection, his approval was something that, that I had and how he expressed it was based on who he was. Uh-huh. Boom. Two weeks, three weeks later, uh-huh. I get a phone call. Whatever God you believe in has a sense of humor. <laughs> and I, my father says, Hey boy, how you doing? I said, I'm doing great pops. He said, you know, I was thinking about something. If there's anyone that could advise me on something, I thought it might be you. Said, Who is this? I said, boy, I, I ain't playing no seriously. I need your advice. You, you, <laughs> Jeffrey, I'm freaking out.
0: He's asking said, you for help. The guy that never asked for help. No. Bro,
1: talk about a, a a breakthrough, and it's some serious stuff, and it's personal, and it's like, and and it's like he listens to me, and he takes the advice, and he appreciates it, and he sends me a clear message that I've always respected your intellect and your your adulthood. You know, I didn't agree with what you were like when you was a teenager, but boy, you are right. And I just, if there was anyone that could advise me, I thought it would be you. Okay. Right.
0: I got to ask you, how did you feel after you hung up the phone? I felt that there was a God.
1: <laughs> Seriously, I, think, I couldn't believe it. And I was overwhelmed with joy. Hmm. A, a joy. You got to understand, man. I, I have been trained not to cry. It took me 10 years to learn how to cry after I left Detroit, when I went to Ann Arbor. And the first tears I ever experienced after leaving Detroit and being a rigid, hardcore individual were tears of joy. Mm. I gave myself permission to have tears of joy, which opened the door for me to be able to express that level of emotions. And so you can imagine I had tears of joy, mm. thinking and cracking up and being feeling blessed and overwhelmed by my father allowing me To see him as a human being and and, and knowing that he thought that I could help him.
0: That connects with me like so profoundly, like probably because I have a similar story, but I think everybody does in some way, shape or form. I mean, do do you think that you going through that experience and reflecting on it, learning from it, growing from it has helped you become a better um, performance coach? to the people that will come to you for advice?
1: Absolutely, because we all got issues. One of the reasons, I mean, I'm hundred years old, I'm still relating to 17, 18, 19 year olds. How is that? Because unlike my peers, I can't forget how stupid I was at 17, 18, 19. Hmm. Hmm. And to be able to reflect and be open and vulnerable and transparent with the people I work with is a, key to opening up doors and giving them permission to open up doors and talk about their hidden secrets and their their past and their fears and their hopes. Everybody got daddy issues. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: even if you love them to death, you know, and they were good, cool as all get out, they still turned out to be human beings.
0: And, and it's a good point. We're all human beings and as good as you are because you're the goat uh, in your profession, just like Michael and Desmond and Tom are the goats and theirs, um, but there is no such thing as the perfect human being. There is no such thing as the perfect professional. What are you working on to become even better?
1: Um, prejudging is still a curse.
0: Hmm.
1: Judging others and, and, and prejudging them before I even talk to them, you know, it's hard not to prejudge. Prejudice is simply prejudging. You know, well, you know, I'm black. I can't be racist. Are you prejudiced? Well, yeah. <laughs> and right. so we begin to have all this crap that's been fed to us about men, about women, about blacks, about Jews, about whites, about all this crap that some of it, I'm I'm sure is grounded in truth, but you have to reevaluate your own and give your own assessment of what the truth is. And some of our old, Programming and brainwashing has to be revisited and reframed.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I could talk to you for five more hours, but this is the quickest hour of my day. And I just, you know, highly, highly recommend that everyone read your new book, Stay Sane in an in Insane World, uh, because it's so damn good. And it's not arrogant. You know, it's well written, it's clear, it's concise, it's compelling and you've talked about a few of the stories but just touched the tip of the iceberg so i loved it and i want to thank you so much for spending time with me and our audience and sharing some of the wisdom that you have and uh, I, i just love the book if you can't already tell thank you so much to our audience around the world for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation if you have any questions or comments for our guests or want to attend private conversations and events, feel free to visit us at www.imperfectleaders.com. Until then, we hope you'll join us next week.